0: Practice playbook, playbook. It's a private
1: practice playbook, playbook. All right, welcome back to the Private Practice Playbook. Uh, Flint Geyer here today, and really excited for what we have for you all uh, this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is that you are getting to listen to this. Um, you know, back in episode three, in the early days of the podcast, I did an episode on your most valuable asset. And in that episode, we really dove into your team, right? The person who picks up the phone, the person who is that face that greets the patients, the person that is presenting the treatment, the person that is really the reflection of you or the people, if obviously you have more than one team member. And so today I have a couple of really special guests, really excited for what we're gonna dive into. Uh, today because it's going to give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at not only what we really do here at the Scheduling Institute, but also what is going on in hundreds and hundreds of successful practices across the country and even in other countries as well. So a lot of the feedback we've been getting from the podcast, you know, people are saying, hey, I'd really like to know a little bit more about how you guys really work with, our, with practices. Uh, I really want to know kind of what does it look like to uh, engage your team at a high level. I know we've talked about trainings and what occurs from them and the different results that clients have seen through a couple fantastic interviews. If you haven't listened to the interview with Dr. Carpenter, uh, I think it was the most previous or two episodes ago, please go back and listen to that. Uh, really inspiring story and something that there's no reason you could not do as well. So uh, again, as a reminder, this podcast is put together, put on and delivered for the private practitioner, for the uh, student who is in medical, dental, or otherwise specialty school, who is thinking about opening a practice, who's trying to figure out what the right thing to do is uh, for the spouse of the business owner, the, the partner of the practice owner, right? Anybody who lives in that realm, this is an opportunity uh, for you guys to really just learn a little bit about things that work, learn a little bit about some principles when it comes to growing your business as a practice, and really just making sure that you are setting yourself, your team, and your patients up for a fantastic experience, as well as just a, a fun way to go to work. Right? There's a lot of people out there who are in practice, who kind of hit the hamster wheel, 260 working days a year, and we come up for breath on the holidays. And hopefully, you know, this can be a little bit of a uh, an alleviation for you for maybe some ways to engage your team members and not be the only person that feeds into them because we know you have other parts of your life. You're not just the the doctor in the practice. You may have a family, you may have kids, you may have social clubs, you may have things that you get engaged in, and all of those require uh, your attention, your effort, and your energy. And so today, I wanna focus on how you can best leverage uh, your most valuable asset being your team members and what it truly looks like to train your team Uh, some horror stories of really poorly set up training engagements as well as some tips and tricks on how to make sure that if you're saying to yourself, hey, you know what, it's time to invest in training my team, it's time to invest in the patient experience through my people, you know, how can you make sure that that return comes quick, it comes often, and you get to continue to see those results. And so uh, today with me in studio, I have two of our fantastic certified on-site trainers um, and who both have very unique experiences working here at the Scheduling Institute uh, while they may have for a long time shared the exact same job title. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce the two of them and then really just have a conversation and let you kind of listen in uh, behind the scenes on what it is that goes on in some of these offices. And so first, I want to start off. uh, Doug Legg is with me here today. He has been here at the Scheduling Institute for a number of years now. I want to say right before the pandemic started in 2019 or 2020, maybe. I could be wrong. I'll have him correct me. Um, But has been in a ton of offices and actually has a great wealth of experience in our team university, which is a whole nother kind of aspect of engaging your team when we talk about them coming to us to develop their personal productivity. And personal development on that side. So he's going to be a great resource there. And then I have Carson Moore, who is our uh, core training lead, so works really closely with me on some of the frontline areas of your practice, right? What happens when a person calls? What's the patient experience like? How are we educating patients so they can make the right decision uh, when it comes to the treatment that is going to be best for them? And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys
2: introduce yourself. Doug, go ahead. Well, thanks for having me, Flint. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. and. You know, I would just say something important about my background is that I came from the life coaching and executive coaching industry into this team training industry, and so it's it's just a unique opportunity to both coach an individual um, on their personal life as well as figuring out how they can start to apply that in the practice and update you know those systems and processes and how they're interacting with patients, and so um, that's a little bit of my background as. As uh, Flint said, I've been in over 275 offices at this point. I did start right before the pandemic, so I got here in 2020, and then things got a little crazy for us as we made it through the first couple of months of training. But that really put me in a unique opportunity to work in some different formats with clients, both virtually and here at our workshop, our university program. So.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would love to dive into that a little bit later as well, that difference between virtual training, right, which you see everywhere, mm-hmm. and the face-to-face aspect that we really believe in. So, I uh, didn't even think about that until now, but I think people will
3: get a lot out of that. Awesome. Carson. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, Flint. I really appreciate it. Like you said, my name is Carson Moore. I've been a trainer here at the Scheduling Institute for just about four years now. But like Flint said, I've kind of elevated into a new role being the training team lead uh, for for our new patient division team, uh, where they like Flint said, are going out on the road training you guys in in all those offices and really focusing on that front line of uh, front end of the new patient experience. Um, my time of trained about seventeen hundred team members. So I've seen a lot of different things. A lot of things that you as the as the practice owner see on a day-to-day basis in your office. We've kind of been the those frontline warriors for the Scheduling Institute for for a while now. We've gotten to see a lot of different things. And and I think my favorite thing about those days is it truly like we see the results, right? So we actually get to be in the offices and see you guys implement all the different things, uh, see the team engagement day after day. And like Flynn said, we've seen a lot of really great ways to set those days up for, for us, for our team. And we've also had a, a few horror stories that we might be able to, to share with you guys as we go throughout the rest of this podcast here today. But appreciate you having having us on.
1: Yeah, no, exciting to, uh, to share some of this with you guys today. And you know the first thing that I think is important for us to to dive into because you know you're listening to this today. If you you don't have a relationship with us, you maybe have engaged a, a quote unquote consultant in the past, right? And you know we really have a hard time accepting the label of a consultant because we do a lot of different things, and it's not necessarily like oh well you know I think that if you try this out, it may work. Like that's not what we're talking about when we really dive into the training aspect. Of what goes on in your practice, right? We're talking about proven things that are gonna work and they've worked. I mean, we've delivered trainings in all 50 states, we've delivered trainings in 13 different <coughs> countries, and we do it face to face. Now, a lot of you listening to this may be saying, you know, I, I train my team, right? We go to continuing education courses. Uh, I bring in people to show us how to use Dentrix or whatever our software system is. And well, I, I just got a CEREC machine. And, you know, I invested over 200 grand into this. And I'm, I'm really working on getting my team trained on how to maximize this piece of equipment. That's one type of training. But I kind of, I think this is a great opportunity for us to have a conversation around the difference between what maybe kind of the norm of training, the, and for lack of a better word, the bare minimum of training, and really what we do when it comes to the patient experience, when it comes to the people skills, right? So I'm curious, have you guys ever been into an office and that's their full training experience, is like we do CE, we learn how to use equipment, and then you show up for that first real training day
3: and it's a little bit of a different experience you got any stories around that yeah i think uh the biggest thing for me and it's really any any new member that you go into that <clears throat> that's been, been their experience for so long is those types of trainings when we go in and, and try to set up the day we ask the doctor what what they've told their team and they say you know we're, ju- we're just training on the phones today but they look at that as the same way that they've been doing the same type of ce that you just mentioned with the cirak machine with the anything else like that and they look at it as that's the type of training that we're gonna to do today. And it's very much so different, right? We're setting up the day as, as this is an opportunity to understand how you personally are gonna be able to grow your practice, um, have a part in that. And the, and the best way to do that is by providing an excellent top level five out of five star customer, ser- customer service experience to, to our patients on that front end, right? Um, so we've seen a lot in terms of what can set that up well, and also what, what may not. Doug, what, do you, what about you?
2: What I would just say, I think the biggest difference is that most training is centered on how your team member interacts with different components of the practice, like you said, how they interact with the technology, the software, scheduling. But our training is really centered on how they interact with the patient. So whether that be from a clinical standpoint, an admin standpoint, marketing, but it's all centered on that patient interaction, which is the biggest difference. And usually team members aren't expecting that. They don't completely understand that sort of mindset shift uh, going into it. That's probably the biggest kind of hurdle we have to jump over when we're starting our training days is truly getting them to understand that this is really all about that patient interaction and how to make that the best possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, would you say, and I think, you know, this happens inadvertently a lot, and it is the whole idea of, right, when we walk in, you know, we know and believe that if you create great value that you will get rewarded for it right? I mean, in the science of getting rich, if you haven't read it, go read it, It makes this super, super clear. If you provide tremendous value to your patients as a healer, patients will come to you in throngs. That is what it says. And, you know, we firmly believe that if you put the patient first and everything is centered around that, it's going to work out really, really well. Now, sometimes that's a little painful for them, is it not? Like, you know, you go in there for the first time of saying, hey, we're gonna cover the phones during lunch
3: and not take an hour break for the entire team. How does that sometimes get received? Not exactly the greatest, right? I mean, it's it's change, and that's what we're there to talk about, and, and change is uncomfortable for a lot of people, and it's really about how you respond to that change, right? So some doctors do a great job of setting up that day of saying, hey, we are preparing for a change and c- come into this with an open mind and, and we'll have a great day, and I truly believe that, that that will happen, but there are other times that they don't necessarily come in expecting to change or wanting to change in that first part, and that's a great example of one of them. Yeah, and
1: that's a state. super basic example. Like that, mm-hmm. to Some of you listening to this are saying to yourself, okay, yeah, answer the phone during lunch. Duh, but there's somebody else listening to this today who's saying, oh, man, I, do we answer the phone during lunch? I mean, think about this, and I'm not going to get super far into <laughs> specifics of this today, but. You think about the the patient you want, the patient who's gonna come in, who's gonna pay for treatment, who's gonna refer their friends, who has a family, who has a job so they can pay for their stuff, right? So they can't just like come in at any time of day or call you right in the middle of a meeting, you know? They're gonna call you in three times of the day, right? It's the morning, it's lunchtime, and it's after work. And If you're not answering the phone during those times, you're taking your business and you're just kind of trimming off some opportunity, totally inadvertently, But it's very practice-centric and kind of we-centric as opposed to patient-centric. Doug, I mean, kind of in in working through, you know, the the university side of things, Mm -hmm. right, can you share a time where someone had an epiphany of, man, we're actually not putting the patient first?
2: Absolutely. So you you threw out that word patient-centric and I think that a lot of the arguments that I'll say we have with team members, <laughs> uh, the obstacles, the challenges that we have to overcome, really come at a a point, an inflection point where they feel like what they're doing is patient-centric, but it actually isn't. And so patient-centric being, you know, obviously in service of the patient to the benefit of the patient. And I think insurance is the best example of this. Um, and this comes up at the university, it comes up during trainings. but when talking about how we handle insurance and whether or not we bring it up on the phone and you know when to collect that information from the patient I think what I've seen a lot of times is that you know they think that they're doing the patient you know they're they're servicing the patient better by getting that information up front and ahead of time when in reality it's creating these barriers to getting the patient the, the health care they need right they're getting that quality of care that they they deserve. And so I've seen that come up with the university a couple of times. Um, Typically, what we see also is just in how the patient is uh, that that initial interaction, the first 15 minutes when they walk into the practice, um, there's a massive opportunity to over deliver and create a wow experience. I think that if you just look at it from your patient's perspective, what's the story they have in their head around what they think the experience in the office is going to look like? And then how can you break that pattern? How can you over deliver on those expectations? And it might be something as simple as, you know, standing up, walking around the desk and greeting the patient, right? Handing them a gift before, before you hand them a clipboard with paperwork on it, you know, making sure their butt actually never hits the chair in the waiting room. And so, you know, there's some ways that we can start to design and really engineer an environment, an experience for our patients that's, just unexpected. And as a result, creates that, that moment where the patient legitimately says, wow, I was you know, I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, anytime we have that wow moments is typically when we, we find ourselves going to share that with friends and family, which is ultimately what we want them to do. Oh right? yeah. So. And
1: I mean, you know, and for those of you listening, if you've been kind of following along uh, with the podcast, you know, you've probably heard something like this before, but if you think through the expectation, and right, and I, right, today we're talking about training and I'm gonna get back to some of that stuff, but I think this is an important conversation around the expectation a patient has when they call your practice and when they are on their way to your office, right? The bar is not high. I mean, think about the places you go. Is it really tremendous experience? Is it truly mind blowing or is it actually just, well there was a there was a doctor a dentist in a little town years ago who had one team member and because he had one team member that person answered the phone that person checked in that person checked out that person presented treatment and that person did it all at the front desk the simplest example of how that is just totally backwards and really a lack of innovation in the industry
2: and intentionality
1: well yeah because Every single practice that exists has copied the model of we answer the phones when the patient walks in. So like when you walk in to be greeted, I'm on the phone, I'm saying, here's a clipboard, go sit down, we'll be with you in a minute. It's a terrible experience. If you actually just like slice it up in the grand scheme of customer experiences that you can have in the world, It's actually pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. But we just keep doing it, think it's okay, thinking that, well, yeah, that's what you do. That's great service. My team is nice to the patients, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about really engaging your team and creating good experiences for patients, right, we're flipping what the standard is, right? And that's just a really easy example that I think it's overlooked Mm -hmm. all the time. I had this conversation at one of our coaching workshops last Friday, kind of went through the exercise of it with them and they are just laughing like, oh my gosh, yeah, that makes no sense. But we all just kind of follow it and flock to it like sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's a great, I think that's a great example. And so obviously we are giving you guys a little inside scoop into what occurs in a couple of our uh, initial trainings, Um, you know, to give you an idea, Carson and, and Doug both uh, facilitate our five-star phone training, where we'll come in and really re, uh, reset the standard of what happens for new patient generation and patient intake through the phones, converting those calls to people who not only schedule, but show up, right? The new patient experience, where we're totally transforming what that patient gets when they walk in. Um, and then our case acceptance accelerator, where, Ultimately, we spend a, you know we spend two days diving into, all right, so you've got this person who, who had a great uh, experience on the phone. They, they were treated fantastically when they walked in. They, they didn't get handed a clipboard, right? And now, how do we really get to understand who this person is, understand what's important to them, understand why maybe they wouldn't move forward with treatment that they need, all before the presentation process so we can best serve them Right. Those are I mean, that's the, that's the foundation. And you guys have probably done those a hundred times each at least at least. Right. And so what I would love to kind of talk about is, you know, if you're someone who is saying to yourself, "Well, oh, dang, I could actually I could probably use help in all three of those areas. If you really take a transparent look at what you're offering the patients today or if you just want to grow your practice, that's the foundation. Right. Um, I would love to hear what does it take to have an exceptionally great training day. Like if I've never had a training, all I've done is CE and I'm considering, you know, taking that leap and saying, you know what? I need to bring somebody in. I need to stop relying on the things that I'm reading on message boards to run my practice, and I, I really want to do this thing the right way. But, the investment scares me because it hap- that's that's what happens with everyone. You know, they see, well, I got to pay for it, right? Well, you got to pay for anything good in life, but you can be uncomfortable, not because of the fact that it's going to work or that it has worked or that a practice down the street has worked or your friend has told you it works, right? That fear comes from the, well, I don't know if I'm going to pull it off, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. If I'm that doctor listening today or that office manager listening today, what does it take to set up a really fantastic day to make sure that your team not only is engaged, but also starts getting results quick?
3: I think the first thing is, is something I alluded to earlier, which is, which is actually talking about it, right? Um, we've gone into a number of offices, Doug, I imagine you have the same, where we go in for the first time and we ask the doctor, what have you told the team about the day? And they say, nothing. I thought you would, you would set all that up for them. And, and that team has, has no expectation coming into the day. The doctor has not set up those expectations for them. So how would you really expect them to have a really great, different training day from what you've, what you've had beforehand? And I've been in a few that they've said, you know, I sat down with my team. I explained to them um, why I decided to do this. They uh, were referred by another uh, practice down the road um, that had seen some great success with us as well. And they were talking about the experience that they had created over at that office and say, guys look at the growth that they've seen. We can do that too. This is the first step in that process. And by the way, we're committing to this. I think the worst thing that you can do is tell your team that, Hey, it's just something we're going to try out. We're just trying it. Don't worry about it. If it doesn't work, we're just, we're just going to take a shot at it. And I think that's the worst attitude you can have coming into it because there really is no try. There's commit to it, committing to it or not. And, if you don't truly commit to it, you're not going to see the result that you truly want to see. But once you do, the results come soon after. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, I've seen
2: obviously a lot of different things work and not work on training days. I think there's some really low hanging fruit here that's easy and it's it's being on time. You know, it's making sure the room's set up. It's making sure that the logistics of the day are really easy. And then I would say it's controlling kind of like Carson just said, it's kind of controlling the, the input, you know, what the team knows about the training beforehand. I think it's funny. Sometimes um, doctors will tell team members that scheduling Institute is coming in and then team members will immediately go and start calling people that they think have been through SI or that have done trainings before, or they'll go on Yelp and they'll start Googling us and you can find anything you want to, you know, you'll find what you're looking for. Right. And so sometimes they'll come in with, with not an open mind. So for me, the biggest, the most important, the most important thing that we need to have a successful training day is that your team has an open mind around what's going to happen. And if they're closed off because they think we're going to come in and tell them everything they're doing wrong, then they're, they're not going to feel that way. So I think it's important to tell them that, Hey, we're really there to improve upon what they're already doing, that we're here to make it more effective. Um, but we're not here to just, to make their jobs harder. We're not here to, you know, com- We're, we are gonna revolutionize and transform what they're doing, but it's not intended to add work to them. It's actually intended to make them more efficient um, and just more effective at what they're doing. So for me, it's it's their mindset going into it, which sometimes comes down to, you know, what do they know about Scheduling Institute? which should ultimately come from you?
3: And I think something really important that Flint mentioned earlier is, what, one of the greatest things that we get to say about doing what we do every day is, We know that if if we teach you a process that is tried, tested, proven, and it works, that it will work. It will get you the result. Um, I remember I was doing one of the case acceptance trainings that Flint mentioned before, and it's a two-day training. It's one of our bigger ones, but it's one of the greatest ones because you see the result actually on day two of the training. We actually have some observation built in. And I've been into an office one time that the doctor actually paid for the training day on day two of the training with the treatment that he was able to present in a different, unique way based on how we taught them the day before. And they ended up paying for the training day in that. In that morning, the doctor walked out, looked at me, just kind of smiled and said, I don't really know how that happened, but I'm glad that it did.
1: Hey, and the great news is he probably didn't even have to pay for it up front. He probably got to pay monthly payments after that too. He probably <laughs> did.
3: So exactly right that. So everything based, everything behind that was just, was just a benefit for the practice. And I got to see that firsthand when I was in there.
2: Well, if you've ever, you know, I think that case acceptance training is such a fantastic training because more often than not, as I'm observing doctors present treatment practices, when the doctor leaves the room or even when the doctor's there, the patient will always ask, well, what should I do next? What what, What do you think I should do, right? Looking at the dental assistant or the treatment coordinator. And what that tells me is a lot of times the doctor just hasn't given them a clear plan on, on truly what's next in their treatment plan and giving them some direction, right? We've given them options, but not, not direction. And so I've, I've seen the same thing, Carson, where on day two of case acceptance, we've, we've had you know, 100% case acceptance, or we've had patients move forward with treatment that they would have you know, never moved forward with otherwise just because of a few word changes, right? And it's yeah. powerful. Yeah, and, and you know we could, <laughs> we
1: could have a really good time for the next like two hours going through stories of seeing that work, but I'm putting myself in your shoes if you're listening to this today and you don't you don't have that experience or- You don't believe us. Or you've heard something else or you, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, of course you're gonna say that, right? And so <clears throat> I'm gonna spare you guys the results stories. What I wanna talk about today is ultimately If you're the person out there who is saying, you know what, okay, I want to do this. I want to get a different result in 2023 than I got in 2022. I wanna make sure that my team is truly an asset and not an overhead expense, as you will hear all of your colleagues talk about it at every dental meeting, every convention, every time you go to a study club and you're gonna learn a procedure and then somebody complains about their team, right? That's the reality. And here's the thing that's probably never gonna go away. So if you think that training your team is gonna eliminate all human issues in your practice, I need you to know that is not the case. Our, our, our practices, who we've worked with for 15 years, have probably done 75 in-office trainings, been to 27 events, sent 40 different people to university courses. You know what they still have? They still have people problems. But you know what? If you're waiting to do this stuff or you're waiting to engage your team or train them or send them to learn something that's going to help your practice because you're afraid they're going to leave because you don't think they're the right person because you don't think that it's right for your practice, right? I just, I want you to know that feeling is never going to go away, but you're never going to know until you do it. And I don't care if it's with us. I don't care who you do this with, but you need to bring in. Some type of expert advice, right? I mean, not to get, um, you know, I'm sure most of you. Uh, actually, I'm not going to say that. But not everybody's a Christian. Not everybody lives by biblical principles. But like, it literally says in that book, highest selling book of all time, by the way, um, that it is wise that you should seek wise counsel. So, like, if you want your practice to be successful, don't try and do it in isolation. I think. For a lot of the experiences we get, and I remember the first training I ever did uh, on my own, and it was two very different pictures, and I think you guys probably have some similar stories. Uh, we will do trainings in all types of practices, and the experience is very, very different. First training I ever watched was in a longtime client's office up in Iron Mountain, Michigan. Get to Iron Mountain, had never been there before. You fly into Green Bay, drive about two and a half hours. It was summertime luckily, didn't have to deal with snow. And I get there, and I'm just like, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't really know what we do Mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, I've been around the business my entire life. I knew the we do the phone stuff, right? It's like I grew up (laughs) my whole life. And I I thought basically, yeah, we do the phone stuff. It's a scheduling institute. So it's probably the same level of knowledge that a lot of you listening to this have. It's, yeah, scheduling institute, Jake Geyer, phone stuff, right? Um, But, man, that was the first day I really got to figure out that it's a lot more. And the, uh, the engagement, the excitement of this team that I saw that day, uh, Hannah, who actually runs our team university now, she was doing the training, uh, It was probably five, six years ago, and it was, I, I was so surprised. I, was, I figured I'd walk in there, it'd be, you know, a dental office training, it'd be the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And you go in, it's that new patient experience training, and they're just hyped up mm-hmm. on how they can over-deliver to their patients when they come in. And it was, I mean, it, was, it was awesome. And I was just sitting there watching. I didn't really even do anything. I didn't know anything. And then fast forward to the first training I actually do myself. I'm out in California and uh, I walk in the office and, you know, typical reception room, which they for sure called a waiting room, right? Not a reception area. Mm -hmm. So free tip, don't call it a waiting room because that is what they will expect to do there every time they show up. If you (laughs) keep calling it that, um, so I walk in I'm like, Hey, I'm here for the training. Um, excited for the day. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about because the doctor split the space with another practice. So you walked in, if you went left, that was the office I was training. If you walked in and went right, that was obviously where the person I was speaking to worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we did the training in a closet, the storage closet. Wow. And not a lot of setup to the day, not a lot of engagement in the day. Um, but the fascinating thing is those two doctors paid the same for those days. So. When you guys go in, and y- y'all been in way more offices than I have, what is the like, walk me through? How can I, as the doctor, just royally screw up getting a training day to be successful for my team?
3: I think the biggest thing would be, once again, those expectations on the front end, but it also follows what happens after. So. Us as the trainers, we are meant to bring the energy. That is what our job is to do, is to bring the energy, bring the engagement, and and help encourage that throughout the day. But in those two examples that that you just described, one, one doctor has fully set up the environment and everything to have that engagement, to foster that engagement, whereas the other one did not quite put the intention that they they potentially could have into that day to set that day up for success. And now obviously that client had been with us a lot longer and, and one was probably a little bit newer so hadn't quite set all that t- stuff up yet. And if you're that, that doctor that says, well, I don't have that big, beautiful space to do it. And, and if we were to train, it would be in, in that storage room. Well, that team still can get that result, right? So they can still get that. They still got great information. Flint brought a lot of energy that day, delivered a great training. Oh, and most that client definitely. can absolutely so still energy. get that result. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt but absolutely can still get that result. So so don't feel like that's the reason you don't need to do it, if that's if that's what you're thinking right there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's the accountability on the back end. You know, I think that the day we come in and deliver it is great. Um, there's a lot of information that they're trying to process and you know consume and then figure out how they're going to implement. Drinking out of a fire hose is what we call it. Right, and so they've got to have a good plan after that to start processing through the action items that we leave them with the the plan to, to really start improving things because otherwise you go back into your day to day responsibilities and roles and it's just right back to what you were doing It feels really good in the moment i can't tell you how many times you know I've left the training day incredibly excited for the client. the team was on board, everybody was engaged we were you know hyped up and then I checked back in with them a week later a month later, and it feels like a lot of it has has just been pushed aside. Um, because of everything else that they're focusing on. So you've got to have some sort of implementation plan, otherwise.
1: Yeah, you're, you're and, really, I, and you know, I think there's a few things that you want to think about when, when you go through that follow-up, because this exists with everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. again, we're dealing with people. We're not talking about implementing a new software that you like turn on, set the settings on, and that thing just kind of goes for a while, right? These are people, okay? And there's a reason that, you know, we have memberships. There's a reason that we have an ongoing aspect to what we do, right? I mean, is to help with that accountability aspect. But another thing that I think people overlook all the time when they think about training their team is, well, fantastic. This training day from 7.30 to 3.30 is going to solve all of my problems. It's going to fix everything. My practice will be totally different after this day because I spent six or seven thousand dollars, and th- that's it. It's going to be great, and everything's going to be different because we showed up today. Is that the reality? I'm curious from you two experts.
2: For me, it's consistency over intensity. You know, the training day is a really intense day, but your success will be completely determined by how consistently you can revisit that content and start to implement it.
3: Yeah, I mean, we go in for these days and, and we bring you this workbook of a lot of great information um, that we teach you how to apply all these different things. But what I see happen all too often is I go back into another office and I say, where's your workbook? And it's collecting collecting dust on the top shelf. And they're like, oh, yeah, we haven't really pulled that back out since we since we trained on that one thing on that one day for that seven hour time period, right? And, and like Doug said, it's the consistency that follows that's the most important part is If you're going to invest this amount of money in this day don't look at it as just a day look at it as a membership look at it as an experience that's a long-term thing because if you do that and you set that up once again with your team they'll look at it that way as an investment in them it's not an investment in the day it's not an investment in your phone system it's an investment in your team that's what i love about doing what i do is i get to work with people that want to invest in other people We do that so much here at Scheduling Institute, but that's what every client that we work with has done with their team is invested in them. But it's not just about that one day, it's about what follows as well.
0: Ready to invest in training your team? Allow one of our practice growth specialists to facilitate an exceptional training day in your office and begin to see a return on your investment as soon as the very next day. Don't believe us? Take the five star challenge today at schedulinginstitute.com and we'll tell you how much money your practice stands to gain by completing just one Scheduling Institute training. The five star challenge is completely free, quick and easy and on average reveals how to increase your income by 10 to $50,000 each month. Take the five star challenge today at schedulinginstitute.com.
1: Do you guys think that uh, more doctors Right, I mean, especially when you go in for the first time, right? We don't have a relationship and they don't, ha- they don't see the end already happening, right? And when I say the end, I mean like great results. I don't mean mm-hmm. seeing the end. Right? <laughs> but, um, because this, de- this investment in training a team, I-, I love when people say, well, I just don't want to train them because then they may leave. It's like, well, great people want to be fed. They want um, to be invested in. And you guys ever see where maybe it's just, that is not how these days are presented at all? Because these days are investments in those people. Because every training we're we're talking about today Mm -hmm. helps those team members earn more, be more effective, have an easier job. And enjoy it. And have a little more fun, right? Because, yeah, expand on that for me.
2: Um, So first, I would just say for the doctors listening, I would just encourage you to to change your perspective on training and look at it as a privilege that you get to do for somebody and help them grow professionally. I think a lot of times we have this, you know, mentality. Obviously, we want to invest in people to grow the practice, um, but you also are in a position to help them grow as a as a human being and mm-hmm. flori- flourish more. So I think that that's just a big privilege. And if you're sitting here debating if somebody's worth training or worried about training somebody and them leaving then what you really should be evaluating is how are you actively looking to replace that person? Because if they're not worth training, then they probably aren't worth keeping on your team. And that might sound a little bit harsh. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but for I me- don't,
1: I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I would also beg the question, right?
2: Well, have you tried? Right. Yeah, have, you, have you taken a shot at it? Because mm. you'd be amazed at what training can do and just how how far we see some of these team members come. And I can't, I mean, the amount of stories that we have where we come in on day one and the pushback and the, you know, the basically the arguments we get Mm -hmm. in for the whole first day, but then we come back two, three years later and they're the biggest advocates.
3: Doug, I actually had that exact experience this week on Monday. So I went to one of our top clients offices on Monday to do a telephone training. This is their third time doing that training. They've been with us for a few years now, and I had the office manager in that day she was an outstanding person. She's doing such a great job with the system now. And there comes a slide where we talk about how we're here to make your job easier. And then I asked that office manager, I'm like, think back to the first day you had that training day. Did you believe that trainer? And she goes, absolutely not, (laughs) not a chance. And then I say, what about now? She goes, I couldn't imagine doing it a different way. Why do you think we're here doing it again?
2: One office had me apologize to a previous trainer because of how tough they had made his job when he was in there before me. Oh, that's great. So they said, you know, we really gave him such a hard time. Would you would you tell him sorry for us? Because we really believe in it now. We just, you know, that day was, we were really skeptical.
3: And it's change, right? It's change is uncomfortable. And we are here to change and to push that. But we know that that change is going to give you that result. So that's what I love about doing what we do is, is we get to do that every day. But when you can't see that, that end, that finish line, and once again, not the end, fully the end, but uh, when, you, when you can't see these results actually happening, it is there, there is that resistance there. And once you start to see it, you start to buy in and, and implement. Well, and so
2: what you're saying right there is you know, seeing the end, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see doctors make is that they look at me after the first training day and they say, well, I just want to see if this works before I move forward with with." another investment or another training day or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Right.
1: Continuing the work, continuing the
2: work. Right. And it's, it's like working out with a personal trainer and then saying, well, I'm going to see how my body changes before (laughs) before I come back to the gym with you. Right. And it's, it's so it's like, that's the absolute worst mistake you can make. And I don't, it sounds like a sales pitch, but the reality is, you know relationship is what drives change and for us to be able to truly drive change in your office we have to have that relationship which means we got to we got to get back in there you know and that face-to-face is the best kind of relationship that we can have with those team members and you'll find it's a lot harder to hate up close so for your team members that want to hate on scheduling Institute or want to you know push back on some of these systems that we, we put in place It becomes a lot harder to do that with a trainer in your office walking you through that, helping you see the other side of things, helping you overcome those challenges, see it from a different perspective, right? From the patient's perspective a lot of times. And so um, I think that's why it's so valuable, but why you gotta keep us, you know, coming back. And and I think
1: that's important. And you know, obviously, of course, we would love to be the ones that keep coming back into your office, no doubt. Uh, Love being able to, to do that for the people we serve, but it's, Please do not take this as a, you should have 27 trainings with us. No, 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 no. You need to think about everything you do with your team. And these are the the, the thoughts, the perceptions, the, the mind shifts that you need to make. If you want to have a practice that provides tremendous service, that has the best team in town, that over delivers to what people expect, this is just what it takes, period you could just listen to this podcast for the rest of your days working, never pay us anything. And man, if you actually just took what we've talked about so far in what works, what doesn't work, how to make sure that you actually leverage the investment, repetition, accountability, discipline, standards. I mean, that's the game. However, there's a reason. You kind of can't just hear it Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden be like, "Okay, great. I'm good. There's a few people out there who I've seen who will do some of the foundational things and right, the, 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 they'll set it up at first and they're actually very good about keeping it in place, mm-hmm. but that's not the norm because again, we're dealing with people, we're dealing mm-hmm. with human beings. And so um, you, you did mention something uh, when we first started and we've touched on this briefly and kind of uh, you know skirting around it. Um, this whole thing about virtual training mm-hmm. versus face-to-face, engaging, uh, a real training day, right? Because there's a lot of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who have virtual training. There's a lot of resources out there that, I mean, and there's not, it's not that they're bad. It's not that they're wrong. It's not that they don't work. But can you walk me through that difference that you've witnessed personally, the shift from virtual
2: to actually being there face-to-face and what the team members say about that. Well, for me, it's, you know, virtual is obviously convenient and I think that that's the lure of it. That's why people want to do it. Um, It's usually cheaper. It's really, it's just easier to do. That said, you run the risk of so many outside distractions and you lose the opportunity to really get hands-on with the situation. Um, and develop that relationship. I mean, I think we were designed as people just to be connected in that way. And so what I found is that when I'm training virtually, it's a lot easier to, you know, turn cameras off, to be checking your phone on the side, to have mm-hmm. Facebook pulled up on your computer. Um, but you just lose the, the human connection and interaction that, that really, you know, it's worth the additional investment in my mind to, to bring it, to have that in-person interaction it's not to say that our virtual events aren't effective, and you know we do a, we yeah. do a really good job. I mean, we offer of, it. This you is know, virtual. It's a supplement, right. right? We
1: offer virtual training. It's important to have that aspect of it. I get that, but you know we've been super intentional for as long as we've done training to prioritize that face to face because of everything Doug is saying. But I mean, just think about it. if you're listening to this, right? Okay, you're probably doing other stuff. You're probably not really truly totally focused on what is being said right now. And that's totally fine, right? That's why we, we talk for a while. And it's okay if we mess up here or there because we don't, we don't edit these things, right? This is live action. Not really because, you know, it's pre-recorded. But there's not engagement in virtual, right? So I think a great, a personal example of this, um, during the pandemic, right, we couldn't do in face-to-face trainings, because just like all of you, who maybe your office was shut down by the government, right? You couldn't go anywhere, right? We were doing three hundred and fifty in-office trainings a month. We and went then, down to two. And then, in April of twenty twenty, we did two. Like, we shifted to virtual. We did a lot of stuff here. We did virtual trainings for our international clients that we couldn't travel to for a while. Um, but and I, I had this great idea to do a live lesson for team members uh, on front desks in all of our clients' offices twice a week, every week for what seemed like the rest of my life. (laughs) And and, and you know what? It didn't matter whether or not they were working at home, whether or not they were in the practice, right? I mean, I just, I was like, this is gonna be great. They're gonna be so engaged because we're making it live and it's virtual. But honestly, nobody turned their cameras on. Nobody asked me any questions. They just absorbed the content and said, okay, great, thanks. Now let me go take my quiz so I can go to the next step. And the the fact that I even did virtual live as opposed to virtual pre recorded didn't really change my engagement. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think we defer action when we listen virtually. It's kind of like when you're, if you've ever read a book and it recommended you do an exercise or asked you a question, it's like, stop right now and do this oh, exercise. Gosh, it's the worst. And like, <laughs> you immediately just. Flip, Flip the, page, the page and keep reading. You know, you think to yourself, "I'll, I'll do, do that, that later. later," and I think that's what virtual does for us. And when it comes to training, you know, the biggest benefit to training is actually practicing it, actually doing it. You know, having the team member walk through the steps of it. Where, when a lot of times virtually, it's really easy to say, "Okay, go back and do this later." Set a time, set a meeting, set a time in your calendar to revisit this. But how often do those things truly happen? And so for me, the in person is where. You, you, you stop deferring the action and you start getting to actually go through the motions and, and, and building those you know building those habits. Yeah, and Carson, I want you to touch on the action piece, right, because uh,
1: I'm sure there's somebody listening to this saying, man, I mean, yeah, training's great, but it's like, I should, you're just gonna sit there and talk to my team for eight hours a day and then we gotta go do all these things that you tell us to do. Like, how much in an effective training day is, is you talking, versus us actually making things happen and implementing the things that are
3: taught? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is we are, we're an information company, right? We have the resources, we have the things to tell you what to do, but it, it really is on the practice, on the implementation of it, that's really where the result gets, gets created. So we spend that full day doing that training, and yes, there'll be a lot of information coming from the trainer in that day about what to do, the different systems, and how to change them, but the most important hour of the day is that last one where you're role playing and you're practicing. You're actually going through it and you have to say, yes, I understood everything you said and now let me show it back to you. Mm -hmm. Because that's where Doug and I truly know if if that result is actually gonna get created when we don't get that necessarily virtually, right? So we were training those clients virtually and and one of the best bit of feedback we got from that was, hey, thanks so much for doing this for us virtually, can't wait to have you back in our office. Because we didn't get the chance to put in that action piece. It was just the information piece during that time. And and the action piece is so important to really have time to, to prove that you learned at least some bit progress, not perfection, right? But making progress towards the goals that we've, we've crafted during that day.
1: And ultimately you should be able to act on utilize and see the benefit of any of these trainings the next day. Right? So I think a lot of, you know, and this is just kind of like a side comment, but you know, a lot of times, when you talk about convenience, like virtual being convenient, you know what else is convenient? Training on days your office is closed. So, right, there is the barrier, the obstacle of when we come in and train, right, the office is closed. And that a lot of times is a big barrier. It's like, oh man, I can't even, I can't even fathom shutting down the office for a day to, to, to do training, right? So come in on Friday or come in on Saturday or someday we're not working. But when you talk about implementing something in a practice and you talk about like, really wanting to see immediate results and uh, quick implementation. I mean, do you guys see any certain placement of those days? Like, does
3: Friday work effectively? Do we rather do it early in the week? What does what that look like my my biggest recommendation would be to start to train during the the beginning of the week then the end um because i don't know if any of you have ever learned something on a friday but then immediately left and spent your weekend doing whatever you like to do and then come back monday and then think to yourself what was that we just did on friday yeah i mean think about it all right let's let's just have
1: a reality check here um (laughs) friday training You think zero percent of your team members aren't like going to dinner with friends or going to a bar or something maybe tying one on get going a little too far wake up the next morning just a little bit hazy and then you expect them to come back monday morning and just be like all right i remember that training day let's kick ass today it's like that's kind of not a very valid expectation it's not (laughs) well
2: we are just talking about taking action so for for me i always tell clients build on the momentum of the training which means if you do it on a monday you've got tuesday through friday to to start putting it into practice versus taking you know 48 hours off and saying okay now let's try to restart this thing on monday morning you know that's just so much harder so yeah. i'm with carson i think the beginning of the week is a lot more effective if you look at where the team member's head is at on a friday or saturday you know they're
3: just ready for that training to be done so they can go and do whatever else they want to do on that friday thinking about the weekend
2: yep all
1: day. And I don't blame them. I mean, we all do it, right? Um, Okay, so I know we don't have a a ton more time, but I think what would be really helpful for everybody listening today is um, how do we handle the pushback, right? Because not every training day is perfect. Not every training day is like, oh my gosh, yes, I can't wait to implement these changes that are going to make me go out of my comfort zone, that are going to like improve the patient experience. However, I have to change the thing I've been doing the same way for 27 years, okay? So when we get that pushback, uh, we'd love to hear y- y'all's perception and some tips for everyone listening on how to handle that day of, but then also how to handle that, uh, You know, once the trainer leaves, right? So we do the day, but and maybe we uh, you know, nip that pushback in the bud day of, and then it just sneaks back in, right? So, how can somebody best handle those situations?
3: I think um, the biggest mistake you can make in that situation is immediately attacking backwards, like a back at them, right? So, if they push back and tell you that's not going to work, our office is different, it doesn't work that way, if I were to immediately respond back and say, yes, it will, just do it, I'm leading by by force, by fear, by whatever it needs to be, and that's not going to get the result. A lot of the time, I will ask questions. Just replace judgment with curiosity in that situation and, and ask to truly understand what that team member's frustration with whatever it is that I'm talking about really truly is and get them to really talk it out because a lot of the time they, they'll realize that it's just the, the thing that you just mentioned is the change. It's just the concept of change, of doing something different that I haven't done uh, differently for 27 years. That's actually what is, is causing the greatest fear for them. But you need to get them to explain that because I can't I may realize that and been doing this four years or so now and Doug the same we can see that on their face and we can tell that that's actually what the barrier is and same thing goes with with you as the doctor is you'll you'll have the same thing after we leave they'll still they'll, it might creep back in and that pushback might still be there but you just gotta, you, got, you can't lead with that fear. You can't lead with force. You have to ask them questions, get them to explain it away and realize that, that what they're fearing is just the act of change.
2: I was gonna say the exact same thing. Focus on the goal, um, why you have that goal in the first place and then be really curious. You know, I think that having somebody explain their position, you'll find that a lot of times their objection is well intentioned. That once again, they think they're you know, in the best interest of the patient that's why they want to do things a certain way. But in reality, it might be, you know, it, it really might, might not be the best. And so we've got to just uh, get them to explain their position a little bit more. Seek first to understand, then to be understood.
1: Yeah. So. No, I mean, Doug, very insightful. <laughs> <laughs> no. Seven habits. Seven <laughs> habits. Um, okay. So, gosh, and as you guys were going through that, I mean, there's just so many things coming to mind. I I know we could probably spend three hours just going through this process, but I don't know if people in the booth would be too happy with us. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what? We can do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. So they're not even listening. A a few things I want to end with. And, you know, if, if you're listening to this today and you're like, okay, I can grab this tidbit. I can grab that. Like we've got through a lot. All right. And if you need to do what Doug said, none of us do, and like go back and pause and, <laughs> and write some things out um, around a specific point, right? Maybe you need to work on how you handle pushback from your team when you try and implement new things. Maybe you need to kind of look at your, your business yourself in the mirror and say, "Hey, you know what I've I've done the things that I am capable of and I am the expert in, right? You're the producer. You're the, uh, you're the person running the operations of the practice, whatever your role is, right? Training is not designed to replace that. Training is not designed to uh, inhibit that. Real proper and well done training, which we believe we do, is to enhance that. It is built and designed to make sure that whatever your unique skill is uh, as the doctor, as the office manager, as uh, the associate doctor, right, we want to make sure that the things you do that provide the greatest value, which is treating patients and diagnosing and getting people healthy, that we can leverage that to its maximum, that we can get as many people in the office having a great experience, uh, getting healthy, feeling better about themselves. Because as a reminder, whether you're a dentist, you're an orthodontist, which by the way, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, you know, this all sounds great, but I'm an orthodontist and I simply don't know if this is going to work for me. That client Carson was talking about in Florida is, in fact, an orthodontist. and. So it does work. I think we work with like 13 different specialties at this point. So mm-hmm. if you're listening and saying, oh man, this all sounds great, but like I'm not a dentist, so how does this apply to me? It all applies. Because again, it's about the patient. It's not about. It's not about you. It's not about you as hard as that can be to accept. It's not about the individuals of your team. It is about how can we uh, partner together to really make sure that the patient gets what they deserve and then you and your team are rewarded for providing such. And so. Um, One last piece, and I want to talk about because, man, we could have spent an entire hour and a half on this. Uh, The importance of tracking. Okay, so we do a ton of trainings. We've done whatever, 30,000 in-office trainings, how many university courses, how many people have been through our programs. We've got about 3,000 people who we hold accountable to our phone process every month um, in front desks across the world. And... You know, I'm, I'm just curious, what do you see? Because I have my own opinions on this. I think if, if you're not tracking and making that a big deal and really saying to yourself, hey, we're going we're gonna to track the return on what this training does. Because everything, all of those trainings we've talked mm-hmm. about, we walk in, we help set a target on a number talk about how to track the number and then show you how to increase the number. But oftentimes I see offices then just not track the result, which I don't understand. So uh, just kind of walk me through what you see, how how we do that effectively, um, and then ultimately do the offices that track
3: more intentionally, do they do better or they do they do worse than the ones who don't? I think anytime you track a number, you'll, the more you will see that number improve. And we say that all the time. We even joke in our trainings that we should be called the tracking Institute because we say track everything, track anything and everything. And you'll see that number grow. But a lot of the time we'll go in and do these trainings and we'll tell them all those things about how to do it, how to grow that number. And once again, how to track it. We'll come back three months later and say, Hey, what have you done? What have the results been? And the response is, you know, it feels good. feels like it's working, Mm -hmm. like, great love that it feels that way. What are the facts? Show me the numbers. How has it actually affected you over the course of this, this period of time? Because a lot of the time they're actually underestimating in that situation. They say, yeah, it feels better, feels like our numbers have gone up. And then I look at the numbers and say, yeah, you grew by 13%, 18%, whatever it was in that statistic that we were focusing on. And they can actually see the, the true result that they created. But if you can't see that, how are you going to actually have the validation that what you're doing is working, right? Yeah. And I think too, you know, on that point,
1: there's also people who feel as if, nothing has happened and then we find the numbers and it's like well actually the reason you feel that way is because you have more new patients and that's making you uncomfortable because maybe the back office is slow maybe we've uncovered another issue guys and what you have to understand about training that works is when you go in and train on something to turn a a lever in your business it's probably going to create another problem that then needs to be solved. But it's being able to understand that and not say, hey, oh no, this has created an issue. We should stop doing this thing that's working. It's actually, okay, great. That worked. Now what do we need to do to layer into this and have that con- continuation to where we can continue to scale the thing that's
2: working well, right? Um, and Doug, I look like you had something you wanted to touch on the tracking piece. Well, I would just say that I think that that piece of it is undervalued. You know, you could almost not do anything else but track the number and see results.
1: And do you think it sometimes gets trapped in the computer to where, you know, they're like, of course, yeah, we track everything. It's in our system. We have dental intel. We have whatever X, Y, and Z thing, which only one person in the practice sees.
2: Yeah, and I think the, you miss the reason why you track. And the reason why you track is to create awareness on the number. And usually the number needs to be something you can control or have an impact on. Uh, key performance indicator KPI again. I'm sure most of you are familiar with that term, but it's helping the team members understand what their KPIs is. What are, what are those statistics that they can impact and control? And then again, tracking it to create awareness around it. I track my sleep score and how much I sleep every night. What does that do for me? Well, it it impacts my decision making going forward and how much I sleep the next night or how I train that day. And so. Um, I just think for the team, it's helping them understand that the reason why we track is to create awareness around it. You know, if you told me that you had a goal for this year, but then couldn't tell me what the goal is, it's not a really good goal. So same thing with the numbers, right? If you tell me you're tracking the number, but can't actually, or aren't actually paying attention to it, then you still lose the value of actually tracking it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
3: I mean, you know. the data is only as powerful as you make it. Right, So it, it'll give you the data, like Doug mentioned, like with whether, whether it is you track your sleep, weight loss, whatever it is, you can track those things, but if you don't do anything about that number, nothing's gonna change about it, right? So once the first step is actually the act of tracking it in the first place, and then it's wanting to see that number improve, and, and it's implementing the things that we talked about that'll, that are those changes that get that number to improve. Yeah,
1: and engaging everyone in the process, right? So, I, I mean, I just think it's, it cannot be Um, talked about enough how important that aspect of this is. It's why we force every client that we work with, all of our members, there are numbers that we need to track every day. Because we know, like, it's not because we want to see what is happening every day. I had this conversation last week. I don't necessarily care what's happening the day to day, but I know if you're going through the exercise of tracking it, writing it on a graph, plug it into your member site every single day, that that sucker is top of mind. And if it's not going the way it's supposed to, you're either gonna uh, have the behavior change or reach out for help to make it work. And then if we see that it's trending the wrong way, we can be proactive on it. But um, that is helpful on our side. But here's the thing we uh, i want to wrap this thing up and kind of put a bow on everything we've talked about today um if if you're listening to this and you're like man that's kind of a lot of stuff and we've hit a lot of different points you know i just i encourage you to really look at your year and what you want to happen this year and i want you to go through just a really basic exercise okay i'm going to take a group of clients through this on friday uh, I want you to look at the rest of this year and kind of put it out on a piece of paper, right? write out every month. If you have like a big calendar, use that. And I want you to look what is on the calendar today that is designed to help you grow your practice, engage your team, improve the capacities that you know are lacking, and achieve the end-of-year goal. Now, obviously, if you don't have an end-of-year goal, that's gonna be difficult for you. So that you would need to go backwards and decide what that goal is for you. If you don't know where you ended 2022, then you need to go back one more step, okay? But take the goal, look at your calendar and say to yourself, what do I have here for myself and for my team that is going to help develop us to achieve or surpass the goal that I've set? And if you look at the calendar and you're super confident in it, and I'm not talking about CE, I'm not talking about going to uh, your, your study clubs. I'm not talking about any of that stuff that you're already doing or that everybody else is doing. If you have trainings, if you're going to events to inspire your team, right? Whatever it is, put it on the calendar and then look at your goal and look at that calendar. And if those two things to you truly say, we deserve that result based on the effort that we're putting in to work, to become more patient-centric, to, to train ourselves to provide the best service, then fantastic but if it's not then you need to make some decisions now before the year gets too far in because then what you're gonna have is another year of the same and if you want another year of the same please be my guest do that but if you don't then reach out to somebody for help get some expert advice get some training for your team and use what we've talked to you today to make sure that it's effective. Whether if it's with us or somebody else use what we've talked about today to make sure that if you're gonna add some capacity, if you're gonna invest in training your team that you don't screw it up by a poor setup by not tracking results, by not holding the team accountable afterwards, right? And so I just encourage you with that, take some time to go through the exercise, even though, as Doug said, (laughs) most of the time when we hear that in virtual settings, we don't do the exercise. So if you do, uh, just more points for you and you'll probably end up having a better year than the ones who don't. Um, That is all I have. Any final notes from
3: either of you? Um, I think the biggest thing for me that that has come out of today is is you really make the investment what you want it to be. Um, If you commit to this, if you want to invest and train your team, truly commit to it. Don't just try it. Put the effort into it, set the expectations from the beginning, set the goal, set the target, track the results, and you'll be successful when you do it.
2: You're likely here listening because you want to grow, and so the question really comes back to, are you interested in growth? You know, are you going to think about it some more? Are you going to, you know, kind of skirt around it? Or are you truly committed to it? And those who are committed to their growth will will grow. And that's just how it works. Are you interested or are you committed? Absolutely.
1: I love it. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today on the Private Practice Playbook. We will see you for the next episode. And if there's any way in which we can help you support those growth goals, uh, always Feel free to reach out to us here at the Scheduling Institute. Have a fantastic rest of your day, your morning, your afternoon, and good luck for the rest of 2023.
0: Bye. It takes more than a great practitioner to build an exceptional practice. Each member of your team, from your receptionist to your back office staff, is capable of producing at a higher level than you imagine. Scheduling Institute has taught, inspired, and empowered thousands of team members to bring their A-plus game to work every day through a wide range of off- and on-site team development and training solutions. We've completed more than 30,000 on-site trainings and currently hold over 3,000 team members accountable every month. Scheduling Institute doesn't just show up and spend eight hours with your team. We train your team, teach you how to track your results, and then touch base every month to ensure you're on track. And if you're not, we'll get you back on track to ensure you're seeing a return and creating an exceptional experience for your patients. To learn more about Scheduling Institute's training programs, visit schedulinginstitute.com or call us anytime at 770-518-7575.